0: Welcome to the Yours in Marketing Podcast. Hey, it's Blake here. If this is the first time that you're joining us on the Yours in Marketing Podcast, do me a favor. Please go wherever you get your podcast, doesn't matter where, and please review, rate, subscribe to the podcast right now, well, or after the episode, whichever works for you. We're really looking for your support so that we can build this and make it even more valuable for you. So please rate, review, and subscribe the Yours in Marketing podcast. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. On today's episode on the Yours in Marketing podcast, I was able to speak with Seth Avergon, who is the president at Avergon Marketing Group. And we got into a discussion about strategic marketing in particular and really focus on that. So this is what you're going to get out of it. Three main points here. First off, we talk about how you can have a top 1% marketing strategy. We also discuss how psychology plays into marketing and how that can play into strategy as well. And finally, we talk about his time as a fractional CMO and what that is and why it's important. So again, please stick around. Seth was fantastic. If you are a more tactical marketer looking to develop the strategic side within you, this is a great interview for you to start developing that other half. So without any further ado, here is the interview with Seth Avergon. All right, welcome to the Yours in Marketing Podcast. Today I have a very special guest, Seth Avergon, who is the president of Avergon Marketing Group. Seth, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, Blake.
0: Fantastic, Seth is over in Long Beach, California. I'm sure that the weather over there is just abysmal right now, and that you're you're just dreading living there.
1: It's brutal. It's uh, <laughs> 75 all the time and sunny.
0: I I don't know how I deal with all this just just weather, <laughs> just sunny and beautiful all the time. To give you some context, I'm here in Austin, Texas, where it's been 108 degrees every single day the entire summer. So it's, it's is, is, is is that a dry heat? It's not. No, it's a, it's a wet heat. It's if I think it feels like 127 degrees. It's been it's been brutal. <laughs> I think we're finally coming out of it though. So I'm I'm prepped for the interview. I'm not going to die during the interview. We're going to be fine. Well, Seth is a master at marketing strategy, and we're definitely going to dive into that. But as usual, I want to dive into you first and find out what makes you tick and why you are, where you are, why you are, who you are and and where you are right now, I guess. Um, And I want to start out first and foremost. So you graduated from the University of Southern California, which my my grandpa actually graduated from there in the 50s. So there you go. Um, And you got a degree in psychology. So that's, right. the, that's an interesting place to start because obviously there is a, a big place for psychology in marketing, especially if you're good at marketing, you're going to consider psychology, but I'm interested to know what role psychology plays in marketing for you and how your education in psychology has actually been a benefit to you in your marketing career.
1: You know, I would love to tell you, I had this elaborate plan to start out in, in, in psychology and move that into marketing. But it really kind of just evolved and happened. Um, I got into psychology because I I, I started, you know, just reading books in college about psychology. And I, I was intrigued by why people do the things they do. I think I was intrigued by it before even I started studying. It was just, you know, what motivates people? What, what? Why do they make that decision versus mm. a, another decision, something completely different? And what, what factors took them that way? So I was intended to be a clinical psychologist. And as I got into it, I became then more fascinated by social psychology and group dynamics and as I got more involved in it, I even was looking at, I got involved in directive research as an undergraduate. So I was looking, a directive research means uh, as an undergrad, I was on a graduate research team, mm. helping, them, helping them do research for publication. So I was on a study on the incentive motivation of elite collegiate athletes, uh, another one involving the effect of judges' instructions on jury decision-making processes, which was manipulating when a judge gives instructions to a jury, does that influence How they make their deliberation how they make their decision you know he's an he's an authoritarian figure in a black robe on high how does that affect the jury and so i was fascinated by it and i went off to graduate school actually studying international uh, law and political psychology and while i was in graduate school i decided i hated political psychology (laughs) i didn't want to do that for a living it was not what i wanted to do at all and i switched to international business with a marketing emphasis. And it was like I found a home. Hmm. Everything just naturally worked for me. It made sense, and all of my psychology understanding really played very well into understanding marketing. So it was this really uh, circuitous route, not intending to be a marketing professional, just kind of falling into it and saying, "Oh, this this is my home." Uh, I, I I I look at marketing from a very much of a humanistic approach. Mm-hmm. What what is my target audience? What are they interested in? And You know, the the understanding market research, which I I got from understanding research methodology as a psychology student, um, it all just kind of came together nicely and brought me here to marketing.
0: Interesting. So... You actually, so after psychology major at USC, you go to George Washington University. I'm guessing in between there, you didn't do any work. You just went straight from school to school, right?
1: Correct. I I had one year between undergrad and graduate school. I was working at a health club as a personal trainer. Okay. (laughs)
0: It's interesting. So even another element added in there. And then after graduate school, are you just immediately thrown into the marketing world or was there another bridge?
1: You know, after graduate school, I was had to find a real job in the real world, right? It was sure. that it was, it's that it's that moment where you go, "Oh no, I got to make this work. <laughs> I got to make a living." So my first job was working with a company called World Table International. They just signed a joint venture with a Mexican glassworking conglomerate called Vitró, and I was responsible for that relationship. So there was a bit of international business involved, flying mm-hmm. back and forth to Monterey, Mexico, and, and and living in Connecticut at that point. And I started, I was learning more product management at that point, not really traditional marketing. There was some elements of marketing, but really more focused on how do we bring 25, 30 new products to market? How do we distribute them? How do we sell them? How do we, uh, how do we package them? It was interesting that the company I was working for had never handled Glassware before. So I was dropped in and told, just do everything that needs to be done to bring this product from Mexico to the US and have us effectively market it and sell it.
0: Interesting. So so from there you you go to Rainbird, right? So mm-hmm. that's kind of your first full 100% marketing focused job, I would say. And so what, what was that transition like? Because in, in that other job, you had some marketing elements, but like you mentioned, a lot of it was product management. So what was that transition like and how much didn't you know going into it? That's
1: a great question. I think I had about 60% of what I needed to know when I walked into that <laughs> job. About 40 per, 40% I was bluffing and, and, and trying to <laughs> learn. I was very blessed. I had a great boss. My bro, boss was a, a former national sales manager at Procter & Gamble. And so just having access to her and, and the insights she had and the, the challenges she gave me, she didn't tell me what to do. She, she would challenge me to go after in this direction, to, to look at what was going on. And I, at that point, was assigned to a, a regional team. So I was doing more. It was great. Instead of being stuck in a, in a marketing office, sitting in an ivory tower somewhere, and this really influenced how I think of marketing mm-hmm. now, I was, I was attached to a sales team. So I didn't know any better than to work hand-in-hand hand with the sales guys and be right in front of the customers 50 60% of my time, really understanding their needs, what, what they wanted out of a program, what kind of, what kind of things were keeping them up at night. So that really influenced how I approached marketing. Not uh, Sure, I could look at quantitative information. I could look at data. But at the end of the day, I'm always about, I want to get in front of the customer because that's how I was taught to do it. Talk to the customer, understand their needs, understand what they need to happen. Because if you align your product or service with what the customer wants and needs, it's going to naturally work.
0: Yeah. So we actually, one of our most recent podcasts, I talked to somebody that their company is built such that there's just a growth department. There's no marketing department. There's no sales department. It's all combined. Do you, do you believe in that ideology or do you think that's a bit extreme? I like it. I,
1: as a matter of fact, I think I heard about. I don't know if it was a it was a major corporation, might have even been Pepsi, uh, that changed the title of chief marketing officer to chief growth officer. Mm. And I think that's good for a lot of companies and a lot of in, internal elements to understand because too many too many clients, too many people I've talked to when they think of marketing, they think marketing is advertising or marketing is right. making brochures, and, and it's not. It really is. Marketing is long-term strategy. Marketing is how are you going to, if sales is short-term, 30, 60, 90 days, marketing's got the ball for anything beyond that. And to do that effectively is is a much, much bigger calling than just looking at what's our brochure is going to look like this week.
0: Right. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that those two do not go hand in hand all too often. So obviously I'm an advocate for combining sales and marketing as much as possible. You know, in, in my in my job specifically, working with on the marketing side of things, you can't actually know what to market if you don't talk to the sales team. It's right. it's crucial. But it's but it's one of those small steps that I think a lot of people overlook and it's kind of a good it's just a good public service announcement, I guess, to all marketers out there. Like, if you're not if you're not syncing up with your sales teams right now, just get going on it. You got you got to take action because that's going to teach you so much that you didn't already know. But it's a lot of it's common sense anyway that we just it breezes right past us.
1: Yeah, and yeah, and and like I said, I was very blessed. I didn't know any other way to do it than to work hand in hand with sales, but. To your point, sales and marketing are two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. Sales is out there, they're talking to the customer, they should be providing feedback and information to marketing. Marketing takes that information and then uses that to develop programs, initiatives, campaigns that meet those needs. And then they go back out to sales and say, okay, try this out, see how it works. So it, it really is a give and take. And, and I cannot overemphasize this, marketing and sales are different but they need one another. They very much need one another.
0: Absolutely. Well, and, and you, we'll get to what you're doing more specifically in the coming questions here, but just jumping right there right now for a brief tangent, how do you do that for yourself? Because you have your own marketing group now. How do you make sure that those two are really coexisting how they should?
1: You know, normally when I'm working with clients, I will I, I will make it a point of spending time with the head of sales. And you'll usually relationships right emotional intelligence you'll get pretty quickly how he or she feels about marketing just in that initial introduction so it it's relationship building it's relationship building it's establishing and maintaining trust and when sales gets to a point where they realize marketing's on our side here they're not they're not against us they're they're trying to develop things they're trying to bring in leads that we can convert they're trying to develop programs that are going to make it easier on us and once you get there and I I have not had a hard time getting there. Maybe it's my personality. Uh, once you get there, then you then you develop trust, and you can work together to to bring in to get to the objectives you, you you set out to do in the first place. I don't believe in marketing and sales plans. I believe in a marketing sales plan. They they they, they need to be coordinated together. Sure.
0: No, that, that that makes a lot of sense. And so, look looking forward through through the rest of your career here, you obviously you go through a couple more positions at, at great companies, but then in two thousand one, you start doing consulting on your own, and then eventually move off that and go work for Citizen. So I. I I'm curious to think of this. I've actually done a similar thing. And, and I want your thoughts on what that was like to make the decision to go work for a company again when you were kind of off doing your own thing.
1: Yeah. The first time I, I came out on my own was, was Avergon Consulting. And that really mm. was just me. And um, I was dabbling. I was, I, was, I was putting my toe in the water to see if I liked it. And it had pros and cons to it. Sure. And the uh, the citizen opportunity came along and it was just too good to pass up. It was a powerful, large brand with a small division that had no marketing at that point. You know, limited, there had been people doing marketing on the inside, but they weren't trained marketing professionals. So it had, you know, if, if I had a list of boxes to check, it checked all the boxes. Big brand, so there was money behind hmm. it. Good product, solid product, lacking in the market, mostly due to to, to not effective marketing. And they were willing to let me do what I needed to do to make it happen. So it was, here's a sword, here's a shield, there's the enemy, go get them. And so that's, I mean, for, for a marketing guy, that's perfect. Like, okay, get out there with the sales guys. Same, right, my, my usual routine, get out there with the sales people, start talking to distribution, start talking to the end users, and develop a marketing plan from scratch. So some some people fear tabula rasa, right, that blank sheet mm-hmm. of paper. I love it. I love it. I, I that, that's a like great. I, I can create as long as I'm within the rules of the company and the boundaries that have been set for me in terms of what are my KPIs, what are the revenue targets. I can do what I need to do to make it happen. Sure.
0: Well, you so looking looking at it you really are there for about 3 years. So you're you're in this good position. You've got a lot of opportunity to put a strategy together that you think is going to be great, but you're only there for 3 years before you decide I'm going to do my own thing again. So what was the driving force to deciding that? Is it just the entrepreneur spirit in you? You you couldn't take it anymore. You had to be doing your own thing? No, that would be the economic downturn.
1: <laughs> that was uh, they. Um, uh, that's the beginning of two thousand nine. So we had the economic crash. Sure. And at that point, so Citizen is, is a Japanese company. Japan decided to just. It wasn't just cut me. It was cut marketing. They took a mm-hmm. very, very stern approach to to the economic downturn. So they just decided they were not going to do marketing. They were just going to sell products. So all the programs, everything I was doing over there, basically just got put aside. And so I, at that point, said, okay. I'm going to go out on my own. Ironically, Citizen is not my client again. So they're back. <laughs> I'm back. I'm awesome. back. Uh, <laughs> uh, Full circle. So yeah, no, the, yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, I, I, was, I was caught, like, like many, in the economic downturn. And at that point, I had a lot of outsourced vendors, meaning that while I had web design and public relations and graphic design and videography, hmm. all of those things were outside vendors that I controlled. So to my mind, and this was the impetus for me setting up Avergon marketing group, I'm just going to take the show on the road and I'm going to take all of the wonderful training that I got in corporate. And I'm going to take it out to other companies to take that, you know, my understanding of process, my understanding of, of, of maintaining focus on your core competencies and the discipline to kind of maintain the path and not, not develop shiny object syndrome, which we've seen a lot of companies mm-hmm. where they're, they're chasing dollars here and there. So yeah, that was, I, I wanted to create something different and in. Up to then, what I had seen is the world was encompassed by agencies, and Mm -hmm. they're very, very good at at tactical deliverables, but strategy is not usually their thing. I say not usually because there are some exceptions, Mm -hmm. but a lot of agencies are just very, very tactically focused. And then there are MBA types, and they write marketing plans and business plans and strategies, and they hand them off to you and say, have a nice day. So I wanted to create, I created Avrigar Marketing Group based on a need that I had. I said, I wish there was a company that did both that actually would come in and, re- two silos, strategy development, implementation, mm-hmm. tactical implementation, and the two are married together, right? So we, we, we spend the time, we develop a business strategy that enables the business, that makes sense for your target audience, and then we are disciplined in executing that strategy with milestones and accountability and all the things that make sure that that strategy is, is, is uh, properly brought to the field, properly brought to the street.
0: How, how does it, what you're doing now, what you've been doing for the past 10 years now, how does that differ from the original Avargon Consulting that you were doing back in early 2000s?
1: That was a lot more tactical. That mm. was, you know, I was I was out there looking for dollars. I'm like, okay, yeah, sure, you want this? You want that? Absolutely, I'll do that. And I'm I'm a little bit more strict now when my, my mantra is strategy over tactics. So if someone comes in and says, hey, I, I need a new website or I need a social media campaign, I'll chat with them a bit, but if there's not a strategy component to it, I will usually push that off to somebody else. For me to feel good about it, for me to get up in the morning, look at myself and say, hey, I'm, I'm doing good work here. I need to see work that has a strategy element to it and, the, and the again, the, the, the that uh, tactical execution. Because that's how it's going to go south, right? Either you're going to be a company that is has no strategy and you're just mm-hmm. spending dollars, foolishly. Or you're just <laughs> shooting, you're shotgunning, hoping you hit something. Or, and I've seen both. Or they have a great strategy and they have not been disciplined in the execution. So the strategy is is an intellectual exercise. You know, we both, you know, and I've seen that. I've walked into a company and said, do you have a marketing plan? Yes. When was it done? About six years ago. Anybody touched it since?
0: <laughs> nope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not a great situation to walk to walk that's, into at all. And I,
1: I'll tell you a funny story. And this is a client that I worked with for two and a half years. It mm-hmm. turned out long term. I was initially. And this is kind of part of the reason why I've, I've set the criteria. I have. I'm, I'm not just being you know just being hard. I had a company bring me in to write a marketing plan for them, and I did it. And I wrote a marketing plan, and it was developed. And they said, "Thank you. You know, we just wanted you to write our marketing plan." the person who was then the marketing director left the company maybe a year later and i get a call from the new incoming marketing director it says hey you know i was just going through my office and, and i found this marketing plan this is pretty good i said yeah you haven't executed on it no 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 one touched it so i i have this image of her pulling this this document like out of a drawer and you know brushing the uh, the dust off of it to yeah. look at it and he said, "Well, I don't want that to happen again. I don't want a client to come in and spend good money on, on developing a marketing plan or a business plan, and not and not execute it properly. So, no, it, it, I, I want to see, I need to see both sides
0: of that. that. That's really important to me as an entrepreneur." Sure. Well, what, what is your personal marketing strategy look like? Oh gosh, I'm, I'm probably the cobbler's. I'm probably
1: the cobbler's kids here, right? No, show new shoes for myself. Uh, no, my, <laughs> so my my marketing strategy is really around finding specific companies that have a certain need. So my trigger question that I'm always asking or I'm listening for, when a company says to me, we know we need to invest in marketing for long-term growth. We know that. We understand that marketing is not just a cost. It's an investment in long-term growth. But we don't know what to do. That's my client. Most of them are in the 10 to 100 million dollar space. Some are underneath that, but most are in 10 to 100 million dollar space in terms of size. And when I look at them, and I'm, I'm kind of I'm vetting them to, to determine if they're right, they usually have no marketing plan, no business plan written, limited in-house staff, if any at all, maybe a coordinator, maybe a marketing manager, and then they know they want to grow. They're 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 ready to take that next step. They've been bootstrapping it for a number of years making it happen and that they're starting to feel that pain of we're not going to get to the next level as a company we're not going to grow unless we bring in some outside talent unless we think differently hmm. so you know we look at I look at those things right because if if it's a client's not they're not ready to make the investment they're not coachable I can't coach them right they they're, they're just going to do things the way they've always done it it's not a use, good
0: use of my time and it's not a good use of their dollars we're just we're just going to spin in a circle sure Marketing strategy to me, it's like, obviously you need both sides. You need the strategy, you need the implementation, but it's... I understand why it's so fragmented because we look at just the phrase marketing strategy and that on its own seems so vague. Uh, there, there's so many different sub strategies that, that can go into it. You've got traditional marketing, SEO, PPC, social media, you've got video and podcasting and new things are being added on all the time that you could add on to a marketing strategy. And it just makes for so many skills that you need to have to really call yourself a marketing strategist and to, to be a good one. So, for you specifically, how have you been able to hone your skill set so you can actually have these dozens of skills that it requires to be a complete strategist?
1: Right. I need to always be learning. And I do, I view life, life as a lifelong seminar, right? Constantly learning, constantly growing. So, to your point, I have to always, whenever a new app comes out, whenever there's a new social media tool, I have to hop on it. I may not play on it too much, but I need to understand how it works and how it fits into the marketing mix, especially because I'll often have clients who are trying to pursue something. For instance, they're an engineering firm and they want to do a blog, and I'll look at them and say, why? Why are you doing a blog? You're an engineering firm. What are you going to blog about? So I have to understand... Every tool that's out there, I don't have to be an expert at each one, but I have to understand them to a level that, one, I can know when it's the right time to deploy that or recommend it, and two, I can manage an asset who will handle the on-the-ground implementation. So, for example, on the social media side, I may not need to be an expert at every social media platform, but I better sure know how to set up a social media calendar mm-hmm. and understand what we're going to hit with in what days and what our targeting audiences are and what messaging we're hitting with who. On what days? So, it, to your point, I mean, it, it's a it's an ongoing. It is a moving target. I have uh, I have uh, friends and colleagues who are in the digital advertising space, and I I will just go meet with them on a monthly or bimonthly basis and say, okay, what has happened in the last thirty to sixty days that has changed that I need to know about now?
0: Hmm.
1: You know, whether we're talking about changes in programmatic buys or omnichannel marketing, you know, it 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 is it really is a moving target, and. More often than not, like I said, a client will call me in and say, oh, we need to do this. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. let's take a moment. Let's think about your business and let's decide what is the right things. You may not need a blog. You may not need to be on Instagram. Maybe you do, but let's look at your, you need to go where your audience is. If your audience isn't on Instagram, you don't need to go there. You don't need to be on, and this is, people get spread too thin. They try to get on every possible tool out there, and that's not a good use of time or dollars, right? They're getting spread way too thin, whereas, yeah, maybe it is blogging. Maybe it is just LinkedIn conversation. Maybe with the, the, depending on the type of business you're in, maybe it's just being more actively in front of your client. Literally, actually face-to-face, lunches, dinners, that sort of stuff. Old school.
0: How, how how flexible given all that like how flexible do you think marketing strategies really need to be after they're already produced so you can put all the research in, in the world into a marketing strategy for a company and it can be perfect in the moment and then something in the market changes how flexible should you be to that? Should you bend, but don't break? Or, or should you be willing to totally overhaul if necessary? You know, I like to say that most of the marketing plans I've written are perfect, right until the point where the ink
1: dries on the paper. <laughs> so um, yeah, so do so you need to be involved in, in quarter. If, if the marketing plan is written properly, there will be quarterly adjustments that need to be made to that plan. Every quarter looking at what has been effective, and what needs to change. Your your basis for your plan, your business plan, where you're talking about your your mission, your vision, your core values, those things shouldn't be changing. Those things shouldn't be changing. But how you address the market, whether or not, and I was on the phone earlier today with someone uh, who may be doing a, a pivot, a brand pivot, where the market has changed enough that they're not going to lose their core competencies, but they need to really pivot just slightly to capture additional pieces of business that are really within what they already were doing, but they yeah. weren't addressing it with their branding and their marketing up to now. So there needs to be that level of flexibility. If you've done your planning properly, if you've done your strategy work properly, it usually should not be a complete overhaul. It, uh, and especially if you're doing quarterly, it should be minor changes here and there, right? You've probably heard the analogy of, a, of an airplane is constantly adjusting in flight they say it's on course. What five or five to eight percent of the time it's actually on course. The rest of the time it's it's correcting, mm. and that's that's kind of marketing. You know, you 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 want to be humble if you're in marketing because things are going to change, and you may have a great strategy, you may a great initiative that you want to undertake, and the market's not ready for it, or it just doesn't work, and you got to say, okay, that didn't play. Let's be honest. Let's learn from what happened, and let's move on. Maybe maybe there will be a component. Within an initiative, that will work great down the line in another program, in another campaign. Mm. It just didn't work. You know, it's just tiny, right? You're talking about a, a marketplace that's in flux. So you have to have the right product at the right time with the right messaging to the right audience. That's a lot of moving parts.
0: Yeah, it's, that's tough. And that's why so few people are actually successful at, at, at marketing. <laughs> I mean, you, a lot of people spend money and not everybody is actually getting ROI on that. But w- one thing you said in there is talking about humility. When, you, when you're proposing a strategy to somebody where they've either built this company or they have a huge vested interest, even if it's a bigger company and they didn't found the company, or, but you're talking with somebody that has a big vested interest in this product, in this company how do you, I mean, if if they're not humble in, in that and they don't understand potential weaknesses in their marketing, in their product, how do you help those people to actually set up the right strategy if they're not willing to bend on that?
1: Well, this is where the psychology comes in, right? I, and I've, I've sat with, with clients before and I'll look at them and, and they have to become comfortable being uncomfortable. So I had a client the other day and we we're having lunch and we're about to launch into some new initiatives. And I said, are you a little uncomfortable right now? And he said, yeah. I said, good, because I want you a little uncomfortable. I don't want you a lot uncomfortable. I don't want you losing sleep. Mm-hmm. But if we are if we are not out on the bleeding edge, we are not going to grow. I, I, I skied. I was uh, on the uh, downhill ski team at USC. And one of my old coaches used to say, if you're not very, very close to falling, you're not skiing hard enough. <laughs> so I kind of take that into business, too. You really – you're not going to – eclipse the competition using the status quo. You're going to have to get out there. And that's going to be painful. And there's going to be some painful lessons. And I I, I talk to them very much the same way I'm chatting with you now. There are going to be mistakes made. Get used to it. And there are going to be wins. And we're not even sure why we won. Get used (laughs) to that too. Yeah. And I've seen both. I've seen both. I've actually seen a windfall, hockey stick growth on sales on a product. and. We weren't sure what was happening. That's, that's actually an interesting story. So this is a, a lesson in understanding market intelligence. Working for working for a company, all of a sudden we have a kind of a me-too basic product, nothing special, and all of a sudden we can't keep them on the shelf. They're flying off. For, it's it's out of control. So and this is a this is a company we were offshoring product. Well, we we need more product. We need to we need to ramp up production. We need to we're going to need to wow. We need to double triple our, our <laughs> forecast. So, okay, time out, time out. Give me a week. To do some digging, let me go behind the scenes. Let me do some good market intelligence, which is normally the pre- purview of marketing. Anyways, we should be doing this. Mm-hmm. What I found out was our number one competitor had a production issue with the product they had that matched up against ours. So we were having a windfall in sales, not because we'd done anything great, but because they could not produce. Right. So I came back to to, to executive management and said, "Look." here's what's going on. They're going to be out of their production issue in the next 30 to in next thirty to 60 days. So we have an opportunity. We should absolutely bring in more product than normal, but we don't need to double our inventory. What we do need to do though, is we need to capture every new client that we haven't seen before coming in for orders. We need to capture that information and we need to send sales out to them and develop that relationship because we got them. Let's see if we can keep them. Sure.
0: Very interesting. Well, Obviously, marketing strategy, and that that's only a part of what you focus on. You also spend a lot of your time as a fractional CMO, which right. is not something we've had on this podcast yet. I think a lot of people are familiar with the concept and can kind of deduce what that really means. But I think it'd be helpful to just if you can explain the role of a fractional CMO and how you actually thought that you would be good at that and, and why you would want to do it.
1: Yeah, it was another one of those things I just fell into. So a fractional chief marketing officer, fractional is a fancy word for part-time. Sure. And the the movement towards fractional executives actually started, it's been going on since since the 80s, but really right around 2009, 2010, you started seeing a lot more fractional CFOs, chief financial officers. Many companies would have a controller or an accountant, but they didn't have high-level thinking on... Matters of finance, right? They didn't have that, so and they couldn't afford it, frankly. So Mm -hmm. here was a chance with a fractional CFO to rent that person. And what's happened is that movement has expanded out. Same thing in my world. I run into companies they they want and they desperately need high level strategic marketing. They need that thought level. They need that. They have a gap in their C suite, and it's right around marketing, but they can't afford a full time hire. So. In lieu of a full-time hire, they can rent me. (laughs) And um, a fractional will be with a client. It's normally a retainer. It can be one or two days a week. It can be X number of hours per month. The job of that fractional CMO, my job, is to fill that leadership gap and make sure the strategic planning is happening properly and the implementation is happening properly. And eventually then I I work myself out of a job. It's a great business model. Um, (laughs) I I, I slowly kind of teach them how to do marketing more properly. So fractionals are are very much in vogue right now. We're actually now even seeing fractional VPs of sales. Mm. So again, you know, you you want this high level, you want this tremendous head of sales. You can't afford to hire them but you need that type of talent. You need that type of expertise. You need that kind of training. You rent them. You, you bring them in on a retainer, and um, you get you get most of the benefit. I mean, you you lose some element of control in the sense that they're not there all the time. But that's that's a matter of really controlling expectations and 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 setting boundaries properly. Of like, look, I'm here these number of days per per week, these number of hours per month, and and, and you work around it. Companies are getting used to it. I, I, I equate it to, um, a couple of years ago, remote workers, right? We're kind of, wow, remote, crazy. They're going to, they're going to be sleeping and watching TV. Well, all of a sudden now, okay. Wow. Remotes are actually pretty productive and it saves the company money. That's a good deal. Yep. So they, they, companies have warmed up to it, right? They saw the benefit. Same thing with fractionals. It started out with, that's weird. I don't own them, but they, they work with my business and they make important decisions. Yeah. And they're,
0: their companies are coming around. Well, I, have, I guess I have two major follow-up questions on that because it's not something that I've ever experienced before, but so as a fractional CMO, first and foremost, like what, what do you go into that usually looking to accomplish? What key indicators do you have that you're looking to to hit? What goals do you usually have just from day one?
1: Normally I know there's going to be a strategic component. There is that initial interview that I'm going to do. The first portion of the work is always due diligence, understanding what is really going on in that organization. Mm-hmm. And the and my my initial interview is always going to be with the CEO and I'm going to hear what what he or she thinks is going on. Okay, mm-hmm. great. Then the and that's going to be a that's going to be the the, the draft scope of work. However, I notice I said draft. Then I got to go to the key managers, the directors in the company and hear what they have to say. I'm looking for continuity, right? I'm looking mm-hmm. to hear what they say about what's going on. And then I need to go to the clients and see what they're saying. So I take with a grain of salt what the CEO tells me Sure. because he, <laughs> he or she may or may not have a good sense for what's actually going on out there. So I, I guess the number one skill set I come in with is genuine curiosity. I am genuinely curious about what's going on in that organization, and I'm going to listen to everybody. I'm going to do interviews with key management, with executive management, with clients, and then I'm going to report that back to executive management, and then, then and only then, we'll have a true scope of work.
0: Interesting. And then, and then the other part of it is, so that's, that's going into it. Then you've got all the body of work and fixing everything up. But then you mentioned the the side of the business model where you actually end up working yourself out of it. And how do you know when it is time to just, you know, basically fire yourself?
1: <laughs> well, I don't fire myself per se, but I do <laughs> reduce my, I do reduce the hours down greatly. Mm. It goes back to the scope of work. I mean, I, I'm very uh, we're, we're very upfront about this is the initial scope of work, and then that turns to uh, a project update sheet that I'm running throughout the process of okay, these are our A priorities, our B or C's, and it, they get checked off. And at one point, that four page, that five page sheet of paper with columns starts to get down to one or two pages, and then I start to look at it, and they're all they're 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 no more A's, they're all C's or B minuses, mm-hmm. and. It's up to me. I got to sit down with executive management at that point and say, and I'm actually about to do this with a client too, and say, "Hey, we're pretty good right now. We can and they're we can start reducing the hours down." And they're usually happy and surprised to hear me say that. I'm like, so you're saying you want to make less money? I'm saying that you don't need me as much as you did six months ago, right. and that was my intent from the beginning. It's it's kind of like raising raising a child. You know, you, you know, you don't want to raise them to be dependent on you, you know, or if you're, if you're people more dog people, you know, you know, you don't, you don't want to train a dog. So it's dependent
0: on you You want to teach it. And so at one point it goes, okay, you can handle this. And, and so the, what's the typical lifespan of that relationship? Typically, when you start to, to the time that you feel comfortable saying, all right, I think we're kind of good now. How long does it usually take? It varies. The shortest I've ever been with a company is six months.
1: The longest has been multiple years. And again, usually it'll evolve into an advisory role of some sort at the mm-hmm. end of the day. Where hey, could you come in quarterly uh, to up to, to sit to, sit with us when we update our marketing plan? So it normally, uh, it normally cuts down into could you come in? Hey, could you come in quarterly when we're doing our, our plan updates? Mm-hmm. Could you come in annually when we do our planning sessions? So I do, I graduate them. I really do. I graduate them and I'm, I'm, I'm pleased as punch that they are able, and I, I see them asking the right questions. I, I can't tell you how thrilled I get when they're in a meeting and someone brings up an idea and we're going to do this. And another person in, in the group, not me, says, is that on brand or off brand for us? And that's, <laughs> that's like, okay, you, you got it now. Yeah. You got it now, right? Because at the end of the day, I'm trying to teach them a logic tree structure to function in, Right. If you're looking at various opportunities, chasing dollars, different things, is it the right thing or the wrong thing for you? Is it on-brand or off-brand? And that's based on your mission, your core values, your vision, and your target audience. And that's, that's a lot of what I see is I, I'm, I'm, I go into companies and they think I'm going to tell them to do more. I'm often telling companies to do less, Interesting. Yeah. To focus, to focus on their core competencies. And this is that I had a chance to sit down uh, with one of, my, one of my colleagues, and he's, he's ab- above me. He's, a, he's an interim CEO. And um, he ran a division of a major corporation, half a billion dollar company. And we were trying to distill down what it is exactly that we bring into companies, you know, beyond the SWOT analysis and gap analysis and all the MBA tricks and financial analysis, what are we bringing in? And it really was three skill sets, process, discipline, and focus. Pretty much everything I do falls into one of those three categories, process for developing strategy, focus, and discipline right mm-hmm. focus on focus on core competencies and discipline on staying staying the course staying with what you started out and don't shiny object syndrome is rampant in corporations right now especially when it comes to trying to attract new clients versus retaining existing clients one of the questions i ask in my due diligence i ask for what i call a slip report a slip report is looking at how many clients did you lose over the last twelve months? Over the last rolling twelve months, how many clients did you lose? Because everybody's watching the front door. Mm-hmm. Look, we acquired a hundred new clients. That's great. How many did you lose? Uh, we lost about one hundred and fifty. Not a good deal. Yep. So everybody's everybody's all about acquisition. Nobody's focusing on retention because it's not sexy, right? Acquisition's sexy. There's there's a celebration. New person, new blood. Retention's not quite as sexy, but boy, it's a heck of a lot easier to get more business out of an existing client than it is to onboard a new client.
0: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. (laughs) Following up, just kind of my final question about the fractional CMO side of things. How many companies have you actually done this for, from start to finish? Or at least starting and you're, you're still an advisor for them?
1: Oh, gosh. You know, at any given time, I probably can't handle more than three or four companies. Just because of the way I'm structured, mm-hmm. um, and then I have to start using outside outside resources. I think I've graduated about ten or fifteen companies now. Wow, some some go to higher links now. some some of them the, the 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 scope of work can be shorter or longer. It depends on the client, but probably about ten or fifteen have, have gone through the gone through the gauntlet.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I I certainly learned a lot about fractional CMOS. <laughs> I have a couple more questions here. Just going back to marketing strategy. Because obviously, like you mentioned, I think most marketers, especially in-house marketers, are really focused on the tactical side of things, implementing things, making sure that the work gets done. But there is a huge portion that's missing with the strategy, but I would love to give them a little bit more ammo to at least start learning how to be better at this. So for you, what are the foundational elements that really go into a successful marketing strategy? If you had to boil it down to just a couple points that they should really be looking at.
1: Yeah. You know, it, it always starts with the customer for me. And as you said, techs and tactical people tend to focus on getting the work done. You know, they, they wanted to get up X number of posts. They wanted to get that website live. They wanted to get that product out the door. And if you just stop and say, look, and, and I've always, as marketing said, look, I, I am the champion, the internal champion for the customer. I am the voice of the customer in this organization. So the other stuff doesn't matter. You know, sure, we've got advanced manufacturing processes and we've got this that's great. But if it's not meeting the needs of that customer, it doesn't matter. So push all the tactical aside and say, who's our, I mean, you get down to personas, Mm -hmm. right? Who is our customer? What do they like? What are they interested in? They they have a term for them. Now they call them store intercepts. I like that they have terms for everything now, or they talk about experiential marketing. I was doing this stuff before it had a name. (laughs) So (laughs) what are store intercepts? Store intercepts is when I was working for a major cabinetry manufacturer, and we were selling through Lowe's and Home Depot. I would go into stores, and I would bring coupons with me or gift cards. And my first line was always, I'm not crazy. (laughs) I'm not crazy. But I see you're shopping for the product. I happen to work for the company. I'd love to give you this gift card. Can I get 10 minutes of your time? Because I'd love to hear about your shopping experience. What did you think of the packaging? Did it help you? Did you find this helpful? Did you notice the checklist on the side? Was it the price? Was it the features? So if you start with your customer, forget all the tactical stuff. Forget all the new whiz bang stuff, uh, fast company articles. Forget all that. Start with the customer and build out from there. You're never going to go wrong.
0: What do, kind of following up on that, what do the top 1% of, uh, like the cream of the crop top 1% of marketing strategies have that others just don't?
1: I'm going to quote Seth Godin on this one. They understand how to delight their customer. And delight can happen in a number of ways. You can delight them with your content. You can delight them with the out-of-box experience. You can delight them with a the level of service and support or how easy it is to use your website. But we're in a transactional world with so many things happening. When somebody does or an organization does something above and beyond, you notice it. Mm-hmm. I worked with an olive oil company at one point. And um, one of the things that we did was we had a, uh, a month, a, a club, kind of like a wine right. club. So we sent out qu- quarterly shipments of olive mm-hmm. oil. And one of the things I started chatting with about when I got involved with their marketing was do we put any fun items in beyond what they ordered, do we put any fun items in these quarterly shipments? And at the time they were not. I said, well, why not, why not delight these guys? Why not surprise them? Why not, it's not going to cost us anything. Let's throw in free samples of stuff. Let's do stuff on their birthday and give them a, a credit for 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 uh, to buy online when their birthday comes around. Cause you know they're gonna if you give them a $20 credit, what are they gonna do? They're gonna spend $40 or $50, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so why not delight them? And, you know, there there are the brands that are in the top 1% understand that. We're going to do something beyond the expected. And the customer is going to go, wow, just for a moment, wow, the out-of-box experience, the customer service, the, the articles that are sent out. You're not just selling with your social media. You're actually providing valued content that that person is going to use. That, that may not be something directly related to them buying from you, but they're going to value it. And you are, in fact, creating a relationship. Right, mm. you're you're not boring. You're not boring in that relationship. But just talking about yourself. Absolutely. If anybody's dated. If you ever dated anyone who just talked about themselves, it probably didn't last very long. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's about creating that relationship. So that's what that top one percent is doing. They are delighting. Their customers. And
0: that one thing that I think you said multiple times throughout this discussion is just the importance of relationships in sales and in marketing. That's really what it is. You could, you could delete those, those two categories and just call it relationship building and you'd probably be okay.
1: I, I had one client and they, uh, it was part of, of who they were. They had a receptionist who physically answered the phone for every call and who would hand with, and with a smart, beautiful smiling voice would answer that phone and take care mm-hmm. of you. And she would say, and if so-and-so is not available, you can leave a message or come back to me and I, I will try to find them for you, right? In this world where we get we get so many answering machines or automated machines that are dealing with us, their commitment was there will be a human being to talk to. We will <laughs> never have a customer call in and not have a human being they can talk to.
0: What a, what a world we live in, by the way, that that's even a problem. <laughs> you can't get a human on the on the phone.
1: <laughs> oh, I, and we've all we've, we've all had it happen. Uh, right? yeah. You go, you
0: bounce, you bounce, you try pushing zero up. Oh, no, you just get rolled to another voicemail at that it, point. Ah, I thought, that, I thought zero was going to give me a human being. Yeah, that's absolutely maybe the one of the worst parts of my life is those phone calls right there. <laughs> I, I would love to do just a quick thought thought experiment here, wrapping things up a little bit. But this this show really, I like to give marketers, especially in-house marketers, as many tools as possible to improve, to open their minds, to be a little bit more focused on the customer, to you know, dive into sales a little bit more just to broaden their horizons a little bit. And I think that there is certainly a push here to become more strategic as marketers. So this is a good opportunity here. If if I just placed somebody in front of you that was a good marketer, just got out of college, they're looking really promising, but maybe more on the tactical side right now, they're not as strategic. What kind of game plan would you suggest for them to kind of learn how to become more strategic?
1: Wow. They would have an extensive reading list. Poor, poor person. They, I would give, they'd have a stack of books up to their head that i have them reading. I would two things. And I wasn't kidding about the reading list. Uh, and, and it would go back by, it would go back to Ogilvy too, by the way. You know, the old Ogilvy, Ogilvy on advertising is a very old book yep. on advertising, but it's good stuff. It's in my library right here. I would make them a student of human behavior. If you want to be an excellent marketer, you need to be a student of human behavior. You need to study people. You need to be actively studying successes in the market. And there's plenty of blogs out there where you can see, you know, who who are winners out there this week? Who did it right? And then there's a ton of blogs on who really messed it up, right? Who did bad campaigns? (laughs) And being genuinely curious, being a student of human behavior, doing your reading, read Godin, read Ogilvy. Read, gosh, again, I'll be listing out twenty books here that they need to go through, and you can just skim some of them. Read books on leadership. You know, I've even read some of the military books on leadership. I just finished Extreme Ownership, mm-hmm. which is a Jocko Willing's book. There's, there's so much good information out there if you're willing to absorb it in, and again, be humble about it, and be genuinely curious about people, and be daring. And willing to stand up for what you think is right in the corporate setting, because that that will come down to that sometimes. You will have to stand up and say, no, 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 this is the way we need to do it. This is the way we we at least need, need to try it to see if it'll work. That would be part of that. It's funny you mentioned that because I do mentor people. Actually, mm. it's not it's not on the website. It's not a product. I pick them very carefully, <laughs> uh, but there are people I've mentored before, and it's. It's usually around soft skills. You know, as you said, uh, every uh, the ones that I, I, I've worked with, they've got good technical skills. They're good marketers mm-hmm. to begin with. It's soft skills, and especially, I'm gonna pick on them a little bit, especially millennials and <laughs> Generation Z that are coming up, they're outstanding in their technical capabilities. But soft skills, and you gotta be, you know, you, you, you gotta be willing to look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm weaker on soft skills. Mm-hmm. My emotional intelligence isn't where it needs to be. If I'm sitting in front of somebody who has a completely different mindset than I do, how do I shift over? How do I get my how do I develop a relationship with that person who really sees the world through a very, very different lens? Sure. It's a little bit of psychology here, right? How do I develop that relationship? And there are tools to do that. It takes time. It takes, it takes honesty, it takes authenticity, and a bit of transparency, but you can do it.
0: Well, wise words from a strategic marketer to to others. And I, again, something that I continually look to improve upon, it's, it's one of those things where it's not as tangible, the strategy side of it. So it can be difficult, but lots of resources out there. It sounds like reading books is probably your number one tactic for, for pretty much learning any skill, because you mentioned so many books there, but I, I do have... One final question for you before I let you go. Uh, it's it's more, you know, just a, just opinion based. It's not necessarily. It, it's it's a little more fun. I'm interested to hear who who you think is the top marketing mind on the planet right now.
1: Ooh, there are a couple people I really like. You know, I mentioned Seth Godin mm-hmm. earlier. He's you know I've I've got a I've got a half dozen of his books right there. Mm-hmm. Um, I love his stuff, and not just because we share the same first name. <laughs> Jeff Bezos and and his team. I want to be clear; it's not just, just Jeff, but he set the tone. Jeff Bezos and his team up at Amazon are continually. You know, I'm in awe of all the different programs they roll out, and some work, some don't, and they roll right. If something works, they 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 stay with it. If it doesn't, I've watched things go away. Yep. But they but they are continually finding ways to um to please me. I happen uh, Jeff, you're getting a shout out here. Um, I happen to have the, their prime credit card. Why? Because in a world with uh, loyalty programs at 1% and 2%, maybe 3% in a specific category, it's a 5% program. It's a 5% program. So, yeah, he wants my data, clearly. He wants my Amazon <laughs> data. He wants my Whole Foods data. But he's very upfront about it. Look, I'm going to give you 5%. Nobody else is giving you that. I'm like, okay. At least you're <laughs> upfront about it. Right.
0: <laughs> awesome. <laughs>
1: And uh, one other thing, beyond the books, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of great, you have to be discerning about who you listen to out there, but there's a lot of great TED Talks. Mm -hmm. I'm weekly getting my TED Talk reminder on what's up so I can kind of check what's going on. A lot of great TED Talks, there's a lot of great speakers. If you think you've got it all going on, you don't. If you think you know some, but there's a lot of things you really don't know and you're curious about it, you're probably a lot better off because that's going to keep you going. Absolutely. That's going to, it's when you get stagnant, that's when I start to worry. That's why I, you know, that, that and that's my challenge to myself is like to never get stagnant, to never say to myself, oh, I got it now. Because the minute I say I got it, I know I don't.
0: Absolutely. You got to stay humble, stay motivated. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Seth, it's been a pleasure having you on. Again, Seth Avergone, is the president of Avergon Marketing Group. If I would love to give you just a moment to talk about what you're working on, if you have anywhere that you would like people to to go to visit your website, feel free right now. This is your platform. Oh, thank you. You know, come on the website, take a look around. Uh, there is a blog. I'm not updating
1: it as much as I should. Uh, rest assured, I will get a link to this <laughs> to, to this podcast and put it up there. But it's avergonmarketing.com. Mm-hmm. That's A as an alpha, V as in victory, E R. G-O-N as in November, avergonmarketing.com. And uh, feel free to say hi. I I love talking about marketing-related issues. I really, I love what I do. I'm passionate about it. It gives me the opportunity. Early on in in my life, my mother was an executive coach and she put me through a pillars of purpose exercise, which really made a difference for me because it was helping me find out what was important to me. And as a result of that exercise, it came out that my calling, my my, my raison d'etre is to be of service to guide people and organizations and so I found a way to enable that through my business so it's it's all gravy after that right if, if you're aligned with your purpose and that doesn't mean there aren't hard days there' aren't, doesn't mean there aren't difficult days it doesn't mean there aren't days that oh your, your clients are driving you up a <laughs> wall but at the but I'm aligned with my purpose and that sees me through. so come on say hi on the website send me a note look at the blog. Yeah, love to engage with you. If you, if you've got a marketing question or an issue, I will do my best to give you a
0: solid answer. Awesome, and and feel free to to reach out to him on LinkedIn as well. Are you on you're on Twitter? Are you on Instagram? Where where are you at? Primarily, I, 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 look, I have all the accounts, okay, because sure. I have to, right? Sure. <laughs> but I, I play on. I'm on LinkedIn
1: and via my website are the main ways, ways to reach me. There is a Facebook page. I don't use it that much, but I would say primarily LinkedIn. Again, I have all of them. I have Twitter. I have LinkedIn. I have Instagram. But it's it, those are more tools for me to understand the medium than for me to be conversing back and forth. Sure.
0: Cool. Well, Seth, thank you so much for coming on. Again, visit Aragonmarketing.com and please go ahead, follow him, connect with him on LinkedIn. I'm sure he'd be thrilled to hear from you. It's been a pleasure having you on.
1: My pleasure. This was fun.
0: And that's it for today's episode. Again, if you're a first-time listener or you've been at it since the beginning, please go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. Wherever you get your podcasts, we've got you covered anywhere you want.